0: Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton.
1: Welcome to the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, I'd love to hear what you are thinking about, what you want to learn about. Just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. Anything that has to do with money, we'll talk about it. That's chad at chadburton.com. Well, speaking of money, as you know, this is a show called New Focus on Wealth. So it's, it, we, you know, we talk about issues that you deal with once you know, you're getting close to having enough to retire and then even beyond that, having enough to leave a legacy to your heirs, leave a business to the next generation. Now, remember how I've been saying that if you're a high net worth individual, that you should be running, not walking to your attorney to fund what's called intentionally defective grantor trusts, things like SLATs. Those are called Spousal Lifetime Access Trusts. GSTs, which are Generation Skipping Trusts, Dynasty Trusts. Basically, these trusts where you can gift a whole bunch of money out of your estate and let it grow. And as an individual, you can pay the taxes on what's due on those trusts at your tax level, which is a way to kind of get more money out of your estate So you don't get subject on that money to a ridiculous tax that a lot of countries have gotten rid of called an estate tax. An estate tax is basically, if you have over $11.7 million and you die, you're single, anything over that amount, the government says, you know what, you did too good. You you know, you shouldn't be worth that much. We're going to take 40% of that number and redistribute it, quote unquote. Well, they do a great job of that, right? I I see it when I drive across from our Vancouver, Washington office into downtown Portland, where there's tents everywhere. The homeless are overrunning the city. And that's not, you know, a, a lot of them, it's a lifestyle choice. It's a mental health issue. There's no mental health in this country at all. I mean, mental health is a massive problem in this country. Government doing nothing about it, really. Um, You know, sending billions of dollars overseas, but we still have homeless people. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I am 100% against the estate tax. I spend 28 years of my career helping people to legally avoid it by setting up certain types of trusts and things like that. But I'm kind of digressing here, but. I'm shocked because I I was telling people and I was having meeting after meeting, phone call after phone call, working many, many hours over the last couple of months. Saying we got to get this done before the end of the year because under the Biden administration, the new tax proposal is going to basically get rid of these types of trusts. So you better hurry up and fund it now. The capital gains are going to go up, so we better harvest any gains that we want to take this year instead of next if you're over a certain amount. Well, basically, what was released on uh, version H.R. 536, the Build Back Better Act, the House Budget Committee eliminates many of the previously proposed tax rate increases that would impact individuals. The issue here is that this administration has zero political capital at all. I mean, zero. You all know how annoyed I was with Trump. Well, the lack of direction here is is shocking. It's like I'm I, I'm I'm trying to figure this all out, and it looks. I mean, it it literally looks to me like here's the direction you're going to go, and then overnight, eh? Let's let's not do that. Let's go this direction instead. And I'm telling you, CPAs, attorneys, financial advisors are just like. Going, what the heck is going on here? You know, it's one thing to propose all these changes retroactively and then totally shift gears. But look, I mean, we've gone from three and a half billion spending bill to less than half of that, I think. Um, We've gone to a Build Back Better Act, which has, you know, a couple of decent things in that, like extending the child tax credit, the earned income credit, things like that. But it makes the entire tax system so much more complicated. Some of the proposals on the billionaire tax and other issues, there's no way to regulate all that stuff. And it's never going to fly. Just because people have stuff, you can't tax them on it if they have it. Most people that are are in those higher income earning brackets are business owners. They create jobs. And if you're going to tax the heck out of them, they're going to end up just raising prices and causing inflation uh, you know it's not the right way to go about this it just doesn't work and it's going to tick off a lot of people and cause a lot more divide that's all that's all I 'm gonna say on it. it just it just blows my mind so all of that stuff that I was telling you guys run not walk to your attorney to get these funded you don't have to they're not even Going after the current estate tax uh, amount that you can leave, so you know right now you can leave about eleven point seven million to your heirs without any estate tax. Twice that amount if you're married. There's no changes proposed under this new bill <laughs> to that. Now keep in mind, it's already going to get cut in half because when the 2017 tax act was created, it all phased out by phase out all of the those changes phase out by 2026 there's this crazy thing called the bird law that kind of unless congress enacts to to make it permanent it kind of phases out over 10 years anyways now this could be all some sort of political play that i'm not thinking about to get through midterms i don't know but i just don't see him getting anything done at this point what's really interesting is there's this thing called qualified small business stock credit it's these extra tax credits that you can get if you invested in a small business as a startup there's a certain amount that you can sell without paying capital gains because it's essentially that you took money you invested you funded a business that created jobs and they're still going after that retroactively to september 13th so if anybody out there so it's a very small amount of the population that i'm talking to um your window already closed for the QSBS, so look into that. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But look, here's a bunch of stuff that was eliminated under this rewrite that we've been talking about. An increase to the top marginal individual tax income tax rate, eliminated. Increase to the capital gains rate for certain high-income individuals, eliminated. Limitation on the deduction of qualified business income for certain high-income earners, eliminated. Modification of the rules for carried interest, eliminated. Taxation of certain transfer between dean owner and an irrevocable grantor trust. That's what I was talking about earlier in the show. Eliminated. Termination of the temporary increase of the estate tax base exclusion amount. Eliminated. Inclusion of assets held in an intentionally defective grantor trust. Eliminated. Valuation rules. Eliminated. Um, Oh, by the way, the the previous law, like I mentioned before, was trying to get rid of the backdoor uh, a Roth IRA and the Mega Backdoor Roth 401k that we've been spending so much time talking about, and everybody's rushing to get those funded and and converted before the laws changed. <laughs> well, that's no longer in here, which is a good thing. It's just frustrating. I mean, I've seen a lot of negotiations in the last 28 years. This is this complete 180. I'm sorry, but it's a joke. It's it's really frustrating the amount of hours that people put in on this, and then it just flip-flops all over the place. So bye-bye political capital. This is this is going to frustrate a lot of people. And, and it was already confusing before, but the proposals in this Build Back uh, Better Act, there is no way that the IRS can, number one, monitor this stuff. There's not enough. They're, they're already drastically underfunded, even though there's a plan to add more jobs. There's just no way. These these politicians keep making the tax system more and more complicated, more and more complicated, over and over again. And then the government continues to spend more and more money without doing the right things. You know, I, I've got to tell you, I think I've mentioned this before, but my oldest, Nick, graduated from Texas Tech, degree in personal finance. And he's also interested in law and is probably going to go to law school, I'm trying to kind of figure that out right now. But he... As I've mentioned before, one of the things he said is that, you know, the the reason why this industry, my industry, certified financial planning, people that specialize in taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, a lot of the taxes and estate planning. The reason why you have to have advice in those areas, especially as you have more wealth, is because we've created a system that is overly complicated which creates a lot of jobs that are really unneeded, really in the, in the tax world and the legal world, the financial planning world. The tax code is a joke. It is, it's becoming ridiculous. And some of these proposed changes are, are even more ridiculous without really helping a lot of people. You, you have to realize that when... You have to create a system that is... is you pay your fair share. But if you all of a sudden just start penalizing people because they have wealth without asking how did they get it? How are, are you creating jobs? How If people ha- are wealthy, people assume they've always had it or were born into it. I was trying to explain to a younger kid the other day that when I offered to do some work at the house, he was like, oh no, I just kind of want to chill today. And it comes from a family that's, you know, they, they don't have money. And I grew up with a single mom, had a paper out when I was nine, worked at a truck stop busing tables from when I was 14, got an insurance license that took me two weeks while I was working at a gas station. I've been doing this ever since. And I can tell you for years as I was building my business, it would take me until October of the next year to save up enough money to fund any kind of a retirement account and save enough money to pay the taxes from the previous year. So I was always filing an extension. Struggling for years and years, working 12 to 16-hour days, doing four seminars on a weekend with Rob, building a business, building a business, until you get to the point where you finally, okay, I'm considered higher income, higher net worth, but I freaking earned it and have created jobs along the way. For the the government to come in and say, okay, you're just going to pay extra taxes now. Okay, what are you going to do with the money? Are you going to help the homeless? Are you going to create mental health systems? Or are you just going to send the money overseas? This is the kind of stuff we're dealing with. I think we have to absolutely have term limits on people in Congress. Because these things are getting ridiculous and out of hand. And this 180 degree turn on this HR 5376 Build Back Better Act, where they're saying, here's all the proposals, here's all the stuff that we're going to enact pay for a spending bill, by the way, that we couldn't get through anyways, because we got to half it. We can get n- no agreement on what this country needs. And then, by the way, all the stuff that you guys have been planning for that we said we were going to do, that's all out the window now. It's just frustrating. Absolutely frustrating. So this estate tax issue is is ridiculous. I think it was to to fund one of the world wars... Um, you know, the War of Independence. I don't know what it was, but the estate tax law was increased to help fund a war way back in the day. And it's it's extremely unfair to just take money from a family just because some wealth was created. What is also silly, though, is a step up in basis. We need to be like, uh, you know, Israel or Canada, these countries that don't have an estate tax, but they also don't have a step up in basis. So right now, If you pass away and you have stock or real estate outside of a retirement account, it gets a step up in basis and your heirs can turn around and sell it tax-free, yet there's money that's subject to estate tax. None of that makes any sense. It's stupid. We should have a much larger standard deduction where somebody doesn't pay taxes until they get through the past the point of a living wage. And then we have a very simple graduated tax system. The problem is if you go attack billionaires and millionaires, many of those are, are people are business owners and create jobs. And they will increase their prices, which will cause inflation. And it'll just come back to those people that you're trying to help in the first place. So you've got to simplify the system. We have to create a system where people pay their fair share, but it's so much more easier to deal with. I mean, the amount of tax law changes I've dealt with in 28 years between, like, just mortgage interest. How much can you deduct? Is it a million? Is it 750? Is it on your second home or not? Standard deduction versus itemized deductions. It's it's kind of a joke, and this is this is not simplifying in any way, shape, or form. So, as you can tell, I'm frustrated because I feel like I've been doing a lot of work the last four to six weeks with clients and attorneys, making sure that we do the right thing. And then there's a 180 degree turn on October 28th. <laughs> it's just, it's just ridiculous. Frustrated as it is anyways. So, uh, I, I haven't voted for the sitting president for the last three times. Uh, we need to, we need to get somebody in there. That's, that's a business owner that understands the system. That's not tied to politics, politics and special interests. And uh maybe that'll get rid of the divide. Let's let's take a quick look. Let me shift gears before I get too off hand here and, and talk about earnings. I like to talk as we get through a good portion of the earnings season for the third quarter of 2021. How are we doing? Um SP five hundred, boy, where are we at? Let's 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 talk about that so far. So if we look at the SP five hundred, total return is up twenty four percent for the year as of yesterday. Um, Russell mid cap. Index is up 22%. The Russell 2000, which is small, mostly small cap stocks, up 17%. Emerging markets, MSCI, negative 0.3%. If we look at the entire world stock market minus the US, up 8.43%. The US Bloomberg bond index is down 1.6%. And the US Bloomberg municipal bond index is up a half a percent. So, you know, bonds negative to flat, Uh, international stocks negative on the EM. International developed up decently. The S&P 500, 24%. That's a huge year. We have balanced portfolios up 12%, 13%, 14%. Is that warranted? So let's talk about that. The index, the S&P 500, the companies in the S&P 500 are now reporting the third highest year-over-year growth in earnings since Q2 2010. And that's good because we're already past the... Um, the worst, right? When you have the expectations as low as we had in, in the second, first and second quarter last year, the first and second quarter for this year, easy to beat. But now we're into the third quarter and analysts expect earnings growth more than 20% for the fourth quarter and earnings growth of more than 40% for the full year versus last year. And last year was only a bad quarter in terms of travel and leisure and other issues. So pretty decent results. That's That's why the market is up quite a bit. Overall, fifty percent, 56% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported as of last Friday. 82% have reported earnings per share above estimates. That's huge. It's above the five-year average. And if uh, 82% of those companies have been beating and we stick with that number, it's the fourth highest percentage of S&P 500 companies reporting a positive earnings surprise since FactSet began tracking this metric in 2008. So pretty good results. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the Suitcase is Always Packed Pass or the Wait, I Get to Choose from 100,000 Trips Pass, the Will it be the Beach, City, Mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. All right, I was talking about the, the stock market return. So, so far... If 82% is the final percentage for the quarter of companies that beat their earnings per share, it's uh, going over a report from FactSet, uh, John Butter's blog over there. You can check it out, FactSet Earnings Insight. This is the the best result since FactSet began tracking this metric in 2008. In aggregate, companies are reporting earnings that are 10.3% above estimates, which is above the five-year average of 8.4%. So, as of today, the SP 500 is reporting year over year growth in revenues of 15.8%, which is pretty good. Um, and uh, forward 12 month PE ratio is at 21.1. Now, it's a little better than the 22% that we were expecting, or the 22 times earnings. So, it, 21.1, it's not super cheap, but why is it expensive? Because interest rates are still historically low and they look like they're moving up which is why the U.S. bond market is slightly negative for the year. And it's the Tina trade, right? There is no other alternative, or there is no alternative. That's the Tina trade you keep hearing about. It's always a bit of a competition between stocks and bonds because stocks have growth in the share price and they pay dividends. Bonds basically just pay interest. And the only increase in value that you can get is if interest rates are going down, which they're not. They're going up. So a lot of bond funds are flat to negative for the year, unless you're in a you know like a California or an Oregon tax free, then they're slightly positive. So you've got really good results, and you've got the Tina issue. There is no alternative. So a lot of money being pushed into the market. There's a lot of really good stocks that are fairly to fully valued. There's a little bit of sprinkling of undervalued stuff that you can find, but. And then there's pockets of speculation. We'll talk about some of the crypto issues lately here in a second. One of the things I did want to point out is that the, the S&P 500 Equal Weight Index is outperforming the S&P 500. The S&P 500 has become an index that's controlled by about 30 companies. It's 6% Apple, 6% Microsoft, for example. Um, so when you're investing in the S P p 500, you're investing mostly in Apple, Microsoft, Google, uh, Facebook and a couple of those companies that you know starting to look more like what the NASDAQ used to look like. Whereas the equal weighted index, if you have $500, you're going to have $1 invested in every single company. So you're going to have more exposure to value companies and a little bit smaller companies when it comes to the S&P 500 here. So the equal weight index is up 24.68% versus the Vanguard S&P 500, which is up 23%. And I just looked at RSP versus VOO, two ways that you actually can invest in those two indexes. So value, it's like value is drastically outperforming growth for the first, mm, for about mid part of the year. And then it the SP 500 caught up when the tech rallied again. All right. So one of the things I wanted to talk about is a couple of shows ago, we talked about the new ETF. That is a Bitcoin based ETF, but it doesn't invest in Bitcoin, it invests in futures. So, not only do you have a high fee situation, you have the contango issue when it comes to the futures. You can either buy, for example, if you can either buy stocks directly, you can buy futures and stocks, which is I'm guessing the direction, or I can buy options, which is you can guess the direction either up or down. And you already have a very small market when it comes to crypto but then you've got the futures on it which is even smaller so you've got some mispricing issues and some high fees if you're a person that is going to just i just want to hold bitcoin for a long long time these new etfs are not the way to do it they're riddled in fees and everything else and if you wanted to buy it and forget about it you just better open up a an account on coinbase or Robinhood or whatever make sure you have you know very secure passwords and everything else and just buy it direct but um, because the new ETF that was a futures-based ETF got kind of some bad press about it, Grayscale, which is kind of the first, uh, well, it's not an ETF; it's a it's a trust, right? So Grayscale Bitcoin Trust (GBTC) it's going it's going to convert its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an exchange-traded fund that's pegged directly to Bitcoin. Um, so they're trying to change that. We'll see how that one goes through. But here's the deal with the pockets of speculation around here. I, I've already talked about how uh, my daughter, who's in high school, a lot of her friends, including her boyfriend John, they are trading on their Robinhood accounts in between classes. You know, so that means you can't have an account if you're over 18. That means your parents are opening up accounts for these kids and let, letting them trade, and that's fine to get them invested in. You know, get them interested in investing and things like that, but it's like you go straight into trading and, and, and more of the gambling form versus building a base and then having a certain amount of money that you take higher risk with. And if you get a market blow up of a speculation bubble popping, I'm worried about these kids being eventually turned off forever from investing. And there's a lot of people that made a lot of money in on cryptocurrency, Now, it's not real until it's actually sitting in something else or a diversified portfolio. A lot of these people, though, will only buy crypto. I'm just concerned because there's a lot of cryptocurrency that is just just garbage. You you know about Squid Games, right? It's the number one series on Netflix. It's a Korean show where basically, a bit of a spoiler alert here, They take a bunch of people that are their life is screwed because they have so much debt. They put them in this game where all the games are like children's games, like Red Light, Green Light. But on Red Light, Green Light, if the person turns around, or in this case, the evil statue, turns around and sees you continuing to move, you get shot in the head. If you're playing tug-of-war, you're tied to the rope... And if the other team pulls you across the line and you win, the line is an eighty foot drop, and everybody falls to their death. It's like a kind of like a version of Saw, and it was it's super popular, um, very creepy show. Uh, and there was a Squid Game cryptocurrency that was created, and it was a scam. Essentially, it was a pump and dump situation. They created this cryptocurrency, realizing that everybody's trying to buy any cryptocurrency they can. And it went up like 2,300%. And then it went to zero. So if you, I mean, just Google cryptocurrency scams, cryptocurrency multi-level marketing, where people are getting other people to buy certain cryptocurrencies and getting a commission for doing so, up to $1,000 in some cases. I mean, there was one day, the other day, after the Shiba Ino cryptocurrency, which was kind of created as a joke, had this huge run up. And then I kept seeing people post over and over again, you know, get in before it's too late, get in before it's too late. Those are the kind of stuff that just remind me of 1999 all over again. I saw Instagram post of somebody I barely knew. And the story was complaining about their bank because they had made a $400 withdrawal or something like that from their cryptocurrency account to their bank. And then they made a withdrawal from their bank account, but the, the bank account didn't recognize the deposit yet, probably hadn't settled yet. So their account became overdrawn. And it was some wacky explanation how the bank didn't report it properly, causing them to be over-withdrawn. And hey, this is why I use cryptocurrency. I'm going to start using only cryptocurrency, and I hate the banks. I'm like... This guy doesn't have enough money in his bank account to be able to deal with a $400 withdrawal yet they're trading cryptocurrency. And a lot of people think it's stock, guys. A lot of think I mean they don't even people are getting into this stuff not even knowing what it is. And now don't don't get me too wrong cuz I own some but you know, and I—if you look at the uses of Bitcoin, and especially how Ethereum is being used in other ways, it, it, a lot—it makes a lot of sense. But I, I'm just concerned about the speculation bubble here, and some of the multi-level marketing and the pump and dump schemes. It's—it's it's not an investment; it's a store of value. It is not an investment; it is a store of value. The only way it goes up is if you have more and more people always continuing to want to pay more for that cryptocurrency coin than what you paid for it. And we have very low in in regulation, obviously, between the squid game issue and these ETFs. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer to more government regulation. Um, Eventually, they're probably going to be regulated as a security. And then we'll see who kind of plays out in the end. So again, I want to point out that these ETFs that are coming out so far are not direct investments into cryptocurrency. They're buying futures. So there's already a big commission to buy. So people don't realize that when you buy crypto on Coinbase, Robinhood, or wherever, you're paying a pretty large commission, 2 to 5% minimum, When you actually buy the coin. So, if you look at the coin on what it's valued at versus what you buy it at when the trade goes through, you're paying a big commission. And then the futures contracts, if you're buying the ETF, have to eventually roll. They're already priced higher than the actual investment. So, once they roll, depending on what the price is, then you can pay even more internal fees. So, the ETFs are a trading vehicle. They are not a I want to buy Bitcoin and hold it vehicle. Keep that in mind. Learn about what you're doing before you get into it. Be aware of the scams. Make sure you have very high security that you're using dual authentication, uh, auto-generated password, and newer computers before you open up one of these wallets and buy cryptocurrency. One of of the most searched financial terms out there is how much do I need to retire? I was looking at uh, top search uh, phrases when it comes to finance. How much do I need to retire? Is one of the top ones. So let's let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about a basic example. So maybe you can look at your own situation and and try to do the math. Now, sometimes I regret talking about math or taxes, you know, in the six o'clock hour. But you could always go to the podcast and download it. <laughs> do the math when you're when you have some more time and you're not driving. But okay, let's say. First of all, you got to get your expenses. You got to get a list of all of your expenses right? in retirement. Then realize that starting at 65, you go on Medicare. And when you go on Medicare, you have to pay for Medicare Part B and supplemental insurance and Part D, prescription drugs and things like that. So you have to get all of your expenses. Then you have to add $600 a month for health insurance costs in retirement. Okay, And then you got to back out Social Security. And you got to realize that, oh, when I draw from my accounts, I got to pay taxes. So you got to take that amount, divide it by one minus your tax bracket. And you got to take that annual number and divide it by 0.03. That's a 3% draw rate if you're in your 60s. That means your portfolio is going to be probably earning north of 6%, but you ha- have to deal with inflation. So every year you're going to draw out more money. So let me give you a basic example. Let's say you add up your expenses and it's $6,000 per month. right? Well, you're going to be 65 soon. So you got to add that $600 a month. That means you're going to be paying $600 per month. That's to cover your costs before taxes for your entire living. So that's got to be your you know fund money too, right? Vacation money, things like that. Pretty light in the Bay Area on this number, that's for sure. That's just an example. And then let's say you're going to receive $2,000 a month for Social Security. So you back that out. So now you have this number of $4,600 a month that your portfolio has to fund. But every time you draw money out of your IRA, you pay taxes. Every time you sell a stock in your brokerage account, you pay capital gains. So let's assume you have an effective federal bracket, not even including state, but just federal of 15%. In order to find out what the gross number is that you need to withdraw from your accounts so you can have enough to pay your expenses and taxes you get to divide your need by 1 minus your tax bracket so if it's only 15% uh let's then you would divide 4600 by 0.85 1 minus your tax bracket so in that case it's $5411 a month you following me now if you multiply that by 12 that means you're going to need a year from your portfolio plus your social security to live. So if you divide $64,932 by 3%, which is a suggested draw rate, used to be 4%, but that's when bonds were paying a lot more and CDs were paying a lot more. That means you need $2,164,400 to support your retirement and have enough money to last your age 100 and keep up with inflation. That's a general idea if you're let's say in your late 50s or 60s or early 60s to say how much do I need to retire? You you, you can do some basic math. Now that's not how you make a decision to retire. That's just to say, okay, I'm kind of close. I better get a real double check and get a full-fledged financial plan. Full-fledged financial plan where it detailed cash flow projections, conservative rates of return, We go through that process of really saying, okay, here's how much you need. This is what your tax bracket's going to be. If somebody's retiring with 100% IRAs and 401ks that have never been taxed, they're going to need to withdraw a lot more because their taxes are going to be higher than somebody that has some cash, some regular brokerage accounts that pay capital gains and IRAs and 401ks. The person with 100% 401k is going to have to pull out more money because their taxes are going to be higher you might have some rocks that are totally tax-free. So it might be a totally different situation for you. But once we get that linear cash flow model with a conservative rate of return projected, usually around 5.5% to be very conservative, we go through a long period of disappointing returns, then uh, we, we say, okay, yep, you have enough money to last till age 100. Now let's do a Monte Carlo simulation based on your existing asset allocation and see what your success rate is. That's when you run over a 1,000 different market scenarios. Good markets first, bad markets first, combinations of inflation, longevity, all those different scenarios. And then you can get a success rate. If you've got a good linear cash flow projection, a success rate well north of 85%, and a withdrawal strategy like I talk about all the time, which is having a certain amount of you know, three years worth of portfolio draws and save money and then rebalancing your portfolio quarterly to replenish the cash that you've spent. If you have all that in place, then yeah, you could walk in and, and say, I- I'm putting in my notice. I'm going to retire. I'm putting in my notice. I'm going to retire. Now, what I want to suggest to those that are thinking about doing that, practice retiring. Practice retiring because... Those that retire and have no idea what they're going to do, they, they tend to struggle quite a bit. Those that retire and they say, I'm so busy now, I don't know how I had time to work. Those are the ones that are thriving and happy and they're focusing on family. They're focusing... Well, number one, they're focusing on health, like we talked about. They're continuing to lift weights. That's one of the best things you can do because it keeps your bone structure stronger in retirement. So you got to do the weights. Chronic cardio is horrible for you got to do the weights, you got to swim, bike, play tennis or pickleball. Those are the the people that are super, super healthy and happy. And then they deal with family and basically giving back to the community. Philanthropy, couldn't think of the term. So sometimes you might have a ton of vacation time. Take a bunch of it all at once. Ask for a sabbatical. Practice retirement before you go in and give the notice. Because it's kind of hard on some people. It's kind of hard going from being, you know, wanted and needed for 40 to 60 hours a week to all of a sudden your phone's not ringing anymore. So you need to practice retirement. It's, it's a healthy thing to do. If you have a money question for the show or a topic, an idea, shoot me an email at chad at chadburton.com. If you need financial planning help, investment management, it's all there at chadburton.com. The podcast links everything. Have a great day. Please tell a friend about the show.